Welcome to our weekly, weekly Wednesday night shir, and as we've been dedicating to Achim Yaakov and Sihish, Allah Vashalom, Shamashav and Aliyah. So dedicate today to Bathsheba Chana, Vasavram, who was taken from our midst this past Sunday. While saying Kapitalam at Chestel, Shpia Melitza Yesha for her family, to have Kayach to overcome, children should be able to understand and know and remember who their mother was, and we should be zeichet to the revua of the Kitzvran Sheikh Neofar, and he v'seicham, children should not see any suffering at all, they should actually see their mother back in their midst, before they can think so. A very, very rich Pasha this week, of course, Pasha Vayera, not to be confused with Vayera, A very, very action-packed Pasha comes to the visitors, the three visitors that visit Avramavino. It comes to the story of Sadaim and Light and Malachim who continue their journey and they go on to do Sadaim, what they have to do in Sadaim. And of course, continuing to the Akeda, to Akeda Sitzchok. Don't drink from a can. Behind me. I don't drink anything in a can. Okay, we're back. The Akeda, Akeda Sitzchok. It's each one a story of its own. Each one for hours and hours can be discussed. Let us, of course, begin with a quote. A quote from Avraham Avinu in this week's parsha. Vayan Avraham vayemar. Avraham answered and he said, "Hininah alti, I have begun." The daber al Hashem vanechi offer veifer to speak to Hashem. Although I am but dust and ashes. Afar ve'efer. Two expressions basically making a reference to the same thing. Tells us the Gemara Masech the Seita for those keeping score at home. Yudzayin Amar Aleph. Yimara tells us, as a reward for Avram Avinu, having said, the descendants of Avram Avinu received a reward for generations thereafter. And that is two mitzvahs that they are given, two commandments. One is Paraduma. And one is Ephes Seite.
the paraduma, the red heifer, heifer, don't correct, we have people that resent this online when you correct, I get screamed at afterwards, it's spelled heifer, H-E-I-F-E-I, correct, but it's called a red heifer. These two mitzvahs that are dust and ashes, these two mitzvahs are rewards the Eden received because of Avramina's humility. As a metaphor for the fact that Avram describes himself as Alpha Vaifir. Avram Vino, in essence, was a very selfless person. And therefore, choosing these two mitzvahs in testimony of his humility needs to have a reflection from what he actually stood for what the essence of Avram's conduct actually was. Avram considered himself so insignificant, he was positive that everyone was entitled to so much more than he. In fact, he did, he helped benefit other people at his own expense. Not only his own expense monetarily, but physically. He endangered himself many a times to help others. His nephew, Light, was taken into captivity. And he goes to battle. Who was he? He wasn't a soldier. He wasn't an expert fighter. Who was he? All of a sudden, pick himself up. He's going to save light. And the same thing as we're going to discuss. Avram Sachnasa Tending to the physical needs of nomads. So much so, as we see in the beginning of the Parsha, and we will discuss, he gives up his visit with the Abishta, with the Almighty. As a result of this humility, the children are rewarded these two great rewards. Paraduma, which the Paraduma, if a person needed to deal with a dead body, thank you very much. Our eyes are back on track. A person needed to perform a funeral or attend a funeral. They became impure. How did they become purified? Torah tells us a very interesting process. This red heifer, only red, purely red, cannot have any other colors in him taken never allowed to be worked with a lot of restrictions to make this the real red heifer 
It was brought as a sacrifice. It was burnt. The ashes were then mixed with waters, special water, of course. And the person that was impure was sprayed. They sprayed him, and now he became tired after a day. The people performing the process, the people burning and mixing the ashes and everything else, still the person that actually sprays with his fingers the people that are impure, they become impure themselves. Mildly, only till the evening, but they too become impure. <coughs> Therefore, showing us the essence of Avram Avinu, who sacrificed himself to help a fellow Jew. This Tayyan knows what is going to cause him preparing and spraying this dam, this offer, but yet he's willing to forego everything in order to help a fellow Jew. The same goes with the Isha Saita. A woman, a wayward woman, who is getting too friendly with another man, not her husband, and her husband warned her, stay away from this man, I don't want to see, find out you went private, anywhere private with this man, that you secluded yourself anywhere with him, and witnesses come and testify, that she indeed secluded herself with this man, This woman is then brought to the temple. And again, they pre- prepare the waters of the Saita. They erase in the water from a parchment the ink of several verses of the Teda. And in those verses is God's name. And that gets erased, scraped off, and put into this water. She then needs to drink the water. If she is innocent... She merits to have sons that are great Torah scholars. However, she was guilty. The horrific, horrific end she she meets. This, of course, providing she's denying the accusation. If she confesses to the accusation, then obviously it's a different form of punishment. God says, erase my holy name, so that perhaps we can prove this woman innocence. This is the true legacy of Avram, who put everything before himself, and by that, viewing himself as dust and ashes. <coughs> Fast forward. And Avram Avinu 
Perhaps not fast forward. No, same same area. Avram who takes his son Yitzchak, puts him, ties him on an altar, and prepares to sacrifice him. Chazal tell us the ashes of Yitzchak you show me. If you keep your score at home, it's in Tainus, Pedikei Allah Aleph. And other places as well, talking about this. We don't understand this whole thing. The Mokim Adeshin, by every sacrifice, the place where all the ashes were, it's not Al Gabe Mizbeach. It was not left on the Mizbeach itself. There needs to be Trumas Adeshin, take it out, etc. So, what's the big thing that the offer of Yitzchak was piled, the ashes of Yitzchak were piled on the altar? That's not where they belong. The Altareb explains in Tanya, Ofer, Deshen, that remains from burnt wood, is Yisoyed. Ashes that come down on the earth, and it's not from fire, something in general that was burnt and therefore ashes cannot be burnt any longer so they're higher than actually the concept of fire what lesson does this teach us here the parts of the carbon generally that come together with the fire this refers to Kedusha, to spirituality, to holiness. Or do we say that what has to do with the actual doing, the accomplishing of the mitzvah, going up with Kedusha, the part that has nothing to do with the fire, the offer, the ashes, refers to the actual lame work physical work that within their own right do not have any Kedusha and they don't have anything to do with the H Shalomayla so the person has to be the Hetzias HaDeshen where does he have to take out this Deshen this remains here El Mechutz Lamachne to the outside of the camp because when it comes to the realm of Kedusha one needs to not involve themselves at all with these physical concepts. And this needs to be Eitzel HaMizbeach, next to the Mizbeach, not on the Mizbeach. It's outside of the camp entirely. However, when it came to Yitzchok Avinu, Yitzchok was considered an Eila Temimo, a complete Eila. His physical body his Inyanim Gashmim went up to become totally spiritual. Totally consumed for God. And all this was the Tachlis of the Kaddish Baruch So much so that there was no physicality with him. This is, goes into the level of Avedis Hashem. Therefore, his ashes, which are a physical concept, remain in a pile on the Mizbeach. Because they do belong actually on the Mizbeach, not next to. Not Chutz Lamachna.
Before we go to the beginning of the parasha, discussing the discussing the Achnas Sarchim of Avram Avinu, let's focus a little bit on the Akeda. Akedas Yitzchak. Let us get a little bit imagine go into the imaginary world a little bit. Let us imagine ourselves walking in a forest and hearing voices. And you come to the clearing, and in the clearing of the forest you see a man tying another man. You don't know his father and son, you don't know what their connection is. Tying another man to an altar that he built and raising up a sword and getting prepared to chop his head off. Well, you immediately reach for your phone, you dial 911. You start screaming and yelling to distract the guy until the police respond and you save him. Reality. I want to teach you, my child, how to act, how to behave, how to adapt socially. Lahadla was talking to one of my neighbors, not Jewish neighbor yesterday, and we were discussing his child is in second grade now. And she's a very gifted child. Very, very bright. Doing very well. And he wants to take the child out. The child's in a charter school. He wants to take the child out and put her in a school for, chi- for gifted children. Instead of second grade and fifth grade, the level that she's at. And we were discussing it. Mind you, I know this neighbor since he was almost that age. So he was almost coming to discuss it with the rabbi. (laughs) My first question to him was how would you do socially? He starts to laugh. He says, you're like a prophet, he says. He says, she's kicking and fighting. She doesn't want to leave the school. She doesn't want to leave her best friend. She has a best friend from childhood on. She doesn't want to leave her best friend behind. She's having a fit. But we think scholastically she'd be better off there. She'll gain more, she'll learn more. (laughs) I can't tell you the outcome. There's no end to the story, actually. But he heard me out. Let's talk logic now. I tell my child, we have a tater. Tera is Lashon Heiro'o. It's a lesson, a life lesson. And everything that we learn about in the Tera, we learn about Avedas Dekene. How does this, excuse me, apply to my daily life, behavior, me, action, and service to Hashem. So, Tera tells us that the Almighty created the world heaven and earth the seven day, six days of creation seventh day Hashem rested beautiful day of Shabbos Adam Arishan was given the opportunity to name each and every creation 
so much. So, so much to absorb. Finding out that everything <coughs> that's happening in this world is for the purpose, and the main purpose of this world is that we should serve God. Beautiful. It's beautiful. A life lesson. When I eat, when I drink, when I sleep, I need to know I have to serve God. Turn the page. And I read Abraham Avinu called by a God, by God, and God tells him, Kachno, Ezbincho, Esyechidcho, Asher Ahavta, Esyitzchok. Beautiful explanation here. God says to him, Kachno, Ezbincho, take your son, he says to him, son, I have two sons. I have Yishmol, I have Yitzchok. Esichidcha, says the Almighty, your only son. It's my only son. Each one, Sarah and Hagar, only have one son. Asher Ahavta, that you love. Listen, Almighty, i got to love both. They're my sons. Finally, Hashem says, Yitzchak. In a way, he was hoping he'd say Yishmol and he would go through with it fast. But it's not a lot of misery. Um... Tells us the Tata <clears throat> why was Avram so obnoxious almost, borderline obnoxious? And why was Hashem so riddling? Why wasn't Hashem getting straight to the point? Why did Hashem not say, take Yitzchok? Amongst all the explanations we have, the explanation that for each command is another command and therefore another mitzvah, another schus, another merit that Avram Avinu earns. And Hashem wanted to give him that, and therefore he went and broke it down to a way that each thing would be another step, another level, another part of his command. So, as a student of Teda, I have a hero, I have a lesson. <clears throat> lesson being we need to not only see to make everything that we do a mitzvah we need to see to do it in a way that the mitzvah multiplies, adds and becomes more we need to find a purpose in the mitzvah to be able to serve God even better beautiful lesson amazing continues the Tera what did I want him to do? Says the Almighty. I want you to take Yitzchak, tie him on an altar, and shecht him. Whoa, 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 whoa. Seriously? Shecht? Slaughter? My son? Let's first analyze what this involves. Avram Avinu slaughtering Yitzchak doesn't just kill Yitzchak. Avram Avinu slaughtering Yitzchak takes away every word, every promise that God gave Avram. What is Avram looking forward to? He's looking forward to these generations and generations that are coming thereafter. He knows that all that I've done in the past is because of a good reason. I want Layamush Tedasa Mipi Mupizari Mupizarasari. I want Tedas words should not go off, should not discontinue, God forbid, nor for myself nor for my children, nor for my grandchildren, or for my old gen- all my generations thereafter. I want everyone to continue with the studies of Torah. 
I'm going to now take that whole dream and throw it out. I'm going to take that dream and grind it into the ground, make it of naught. I'm going to kill my whole future. Yitzhak didn't have children yet, wasn't married. Where does this go? And what is Avram's lesson? What is the lesson of Avram taking his son and putting him on an altar to kill him? Even as an outsider of the human race looking in, I see a father taking his son and tying him to an altar and lifting the the knife to kill him. I will stop him. I will scream and yell until he stops. Tell a story of a king in a forest, cold winter day, out with his entourage and they were boar hunting. Hunting boars. Sure, we've all done it once in a life at least. Who doesn't go boar hunting? Put your hands down. And um, as they were running through the forest, it was a very, very abysmal day. It was a lousy day for hunting, there was no boar. Towards evening, they were getting ready to go home, the king spotted a boar in the distance, and he turned on his horse away from his entourage, and he quickly started to chase. And everybody was so busy packing up and getting together and getting ready to leave, they didn't realize that the king went in hot pursuit of a boar. Well, the boar was a little smarter than the king anticipated. And he did his twists and turns through the forest. He managed to not only escape the king, he also managed to get the king good and lost in the middle of the forest. It's freezing, freezing winter cold. The winds were howling. The king had a few dilemmas now to face. Dilemma A, he's now without any entourage, without any guards. What happens if, God forbid, an enemy sees him and wants to kill him? He's defenseless. Dilemma B, he was starting to freeze to death. That can't be good any time of the day. And so, first things first, he took his coat off and he turned it inside out. Nobody should see the royal coat. And then he started to wander in the forest on his horse. And things were starting to get bad. He felt his breath freezing. His hands were starting to freeze. His feet were numbing. And lo and behold, miraculously, a shed in the middle of the forest could only belong to a woodchopper. And so the king hustles over with his horse and he gets off, he dismounts the horse and he looks inside and he sees a eagle sitting by the fire. He looks warmer than he feels out here. And the wife is sleeping and the eagle is sitting with his a book, a safer, learning. Saying to him, whatever he's doing. The king goes around, he knocks on the door. And the Yid says, You can come in, but if you're a robber, you should know I have nothing to you to steal. The door opens up. The king, not identifying himself, comes in. And immediately the Yid says, You must be frozen, sir. Come quickly. He sits him down in front of the fire. And as he's warming, he brings him hot food. He sees this man is weary and he's exhausted. And he sets him up a bed to sleep on. King immediately fell asleep. The Yid was oblivious to his guest. And the night went by. Early morning, the king reached into his pocket, he had a gold coin. I wanted to thank the man. And I said, no, 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 please. It's my pleasure to save your life, wherever you are. I mean, a gold coin was 
a month's wage for this guy. But he was, no, I, I wouldn't take it. King forced it in his hand. And the king rode off. The man made nothing of it. They had a gold coin now. They were able to get some normal food. Whatever it would help him, how long it would help him. Next day, there's a knock on the door. His boy, this forest, is getting busy. He opens the door, and the royal messenger is standing there. King's servant. And behind him is a royal carriage with an entourage of people, horsemen. And he says, yeah. And they said, the king would like to see you. Dress yourself up in your Shabbos best, in your best clothing, and please join us. The king awaits you. King awaits me. Now what is this going to happen? And he gets all dressed up. And he gets in the royal carriage. Ah, what a seat. He used to driving a uh, punch buggy. And you get out of the punch buggy into a, uh, into a stretch escalade. But for a, uh, I don't know. I have a suggest in cars. It's, it's a different world. The man always rode on a rickety wagon. And now he's riding in this cushioned seats. Comes to the palace. And as he gets to the palace, he stands in front of the royal majesty. Sitting down his throne, in all his glory, stunning crown, and his robes, it's hard to even look him in the face. And the king addresses him by name. He says, he says, I've been observing you. You're an amazing person. I see that you're trustworthy, you're kind, you're giving, you're understanding. I want to offer you a job. I want to hire you as an advisor. As an advisor, you will have a home on the king's estate. As an advisor, because you'll be such a high advisor, you'll be getting a phenomenal, phenomenal salary. It's crazy numbers. Not going to put a number down. What, $1,000 a day? Your family will be taken care of. Your children will go to the best schools they want. You'll have anything you need. <laughs> Chaim was, was going crazy. This must be a dream. Binge me. The only thing is, though, one small stipulation, says the king. I don't like Jews. And therefore, all this that I just offered you is yours, but you'll have to convert. Convert, become a Catholic, join the church, and all this is yours. Riches like you've never had, servants everywhere you need. Your wife will get a daily manicure and pedicure. Anything you need. But, you have to convert. Chaim was very, very shy, as is overwhelmed by what's going on around him. Simple wood chopper in the woods, earning his cup, his few cupcakes a day. This, this grandos is just way beyond his 
out of his league. <laughs> On top of that, being told they has to convert, it's not happening. Your Majesty, he says, I, I'm touched, I'm really touched by what you're offering me. It's extremely, extremely generous of you. But Your Majesty, that conversion part is not happening. I was born a Jew, raised a Jew, I die a Jew. I will not convert. So thanks for the offer, but no thanks. He only finished the sentence and the king started to scream. You ingrate. You, what kind of person are you? You don't appreciate something that's offered to you. I offer you the world and you just turn it down like that. What do you think? What do you think I am? Your friend of the gym? Friend of the mikveh here? I'm the king. I make you an offer, you accept it. And you do what you're told. And the king clapped his hands three times. And out of the shadows came three big henchmen. One guy grabs him, throws him on the floor. Second fellow comes out with his big block of wood and places Chaim's head on top of it. And the third one's got the sword in his hand ready to decapitate. Translation, make him a head shorter. (laughs) Make sure he has nowhere to put his yarmulke. The audacity you have to refuse me merits death. And that's where we're going to go. And about to chop his head off. The king says, You have another chance to rescind, another chance to accept my offer for everything in the world, all the riches in the world that you could ask for. Just convert. At which point he closed his eyes and cried out the words, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Aleikeinu. Hashem Echod. And the king was shocked. King was shocked. King said, This is beyond me. He clapped his hands and he waved off the henchman. And suddenly, Chaim feels that his head's still attached. He opens his eyes. And he sees the king standing up and getting off his throne. And now that angry, screaming king is no longer angering and screaming. That angry, screaming king is smiling there's lights in his eyes and he removes his crown something unheard of and everybody is shocked the king removing his crown and he removes his royal robe people are shaking trembling and the king says to him now look at me Chaim do you recognize me now? Chaim looks and says, Who? You just spent the night by me. Correct. I was your nocturnal guest. I didn't disclose to you who I am. And I tried to reward you with a gold coin and I saw money had no value to you. I wanted to see, to think, how I could possibly repay you. And I remembered once hearing, I had a tailor when my father was a king. We had a tailor, a Jewish tailor on the premises. Tailor on the premises. 
Mifarichten de Zippels, Bashainen de Aturis. And the tailor would sit and study with his children Torah on his spare time and would tell them all the beautiful stories of the Torah. And one day I was walking by as a child. And I heard the child, the man explaining to his children, telling them a story of Avram Avinu, who took his 37-year-old son, his only son, and he was ready to sacrifice him for God. Happily. Why? Because this was a commandment from God that he just wanted to to complete. There was no glory behind it because there was nobody there. Nobody was there to witness it. He was there alone with his son. There was no pleasures in it because it meant discontinuing his entire existence. Everything that he stood for, everything that he ever taught the world. And I figured, these Jews are strange. Nobody does anything without getting a reward for it. And here these Jews do things just to say, I'm serving my God. I decided the greatest reward I could give you was to allow you to sacrifice your life for God. So I arranged this whole scene. I arranged everything here that you should get to a point where you see your whole life before your eyes and where you cry out, Shema Yisrael Hashem Melekinu Hashem Echod. And this, ultimately, to you, is the ultimate reward of life. To know that you are ready, totally, to sacrifice your entire essence for God. The fact that a Yid has abnegation, self-sacrifice, prepared to die for God, is all derived from Avram's action. Many people have faith of other faiths and beliefs are prepared to die for their faith, for their faith. So what's the self-sacrifice of the Jew different than any other one? Someone who feels that they no longer exist, they no longer have an identity, no longer want to exist, they no longer have any reason to be live to be living, they're better off dead than alive. They're worth more dead than alive. This is the self-sacrifice that was so blatantly evident by Akedis Yitzchak. The binding of Yitzchak the fact that Avram Avinu until this very point believed that there was one God only one creator of the heaven and the earth This was the purpose of his life. So to sacrifice Yitzchak, nobody around, like we said, he sent his, he told his servants to wait for him, and he went to the mountain on his own with Yitzchak. Nobody to see this, extinguishing any hope of Avram's continuity, 
This was true Mesidus Nefesh. True sacrifice. Everything in the world, he felt that he existed. So the Akedah, therefore, was driven not by hopes of achievement or spiritual gain, solely devotion to God's commandment. This is what God commanded me, and therefore this is what I'm going to do. Gedeila achnasus erchim mikabolas peneha shechino. Greeting of guests is even greater than greeting God. From where do we? Whence, whence do we learn this? The Almighty appears to Avraham Avinu on the third day of his bris. A story of its own, why the third day? Maybe we can still get to it today. But it's on the third day that Hashem comes to him. Very briefly, let's get that, because it's a tremendous point, a tremendous lesson. Avram was commanded to do a mitzvah at 99 years old, to circumcise himself. He knew this wouldn't be easy. This wouldn't be painless, to say the least. But he wanted to do it 100%. God could have made it painless. God doesn't need anesthesia to do that. God could have made it happen. One, two, three. I would never have known. Never felt a thing. But Abraham said, no, I want to do this mitzvah with every single trimming, including the pains that we go through for three days. On the third day of a surgery is the worst pain, but that's when it begins to subside as well. That's when main healing starts. And therefore, on this third day, Hashem appears to Avram, because on this third day is a day where he completed really properly suffering for the mitzvah. The Torah tells us that after the bris, Hashem had Achmanas Navram. He knew how dedicated he was to Achmanas Tzarchim, hospitality. Please, Rabbi, say have Achmanas. One more person sends out the WhatsApp saying, "Wouldn't it be funny to go with a gun by Don- by Donald Trump?" So that just to hear this, uh, the Secret Service guy scream, Donald Duck. <laughs> I see it one more time today from one more person. I don't know what I'm going to do. It's going around and around and around. It's But it's nobody's fault. The last 40 people that sent it to me. First guy sent it to me was almost funny. He might have sent it to you. <laughs> and you finally got, <coughs> you got around to sending it to me. I appreciate that you thought of me um, to send me something humorous that could have been humorous, that should be humorous. The Almighty had Rahmanus and Avram Vinu, who was so devoted to his guests, he took out the son, says Rashi, Yitzhishemesh Menartik, as will be the Asad Love in the time of Mashiach, will be as such that the sun will be taken out of its shade. And the heat will be very, very, very strong. And it was on this, with this strength of the sun, that Avram was sitting, and the sun is a healing factor as well. And therefore, he was sitting out in the sun, looking for passerbys. Nobody was walking out in this weather.
Now, according to Rashi, it says that God caused the day to be unnaturally hot to spare Avram from his burden of entertaining visitors. It's an oxymoron. You know, there are so many mitzvahs that I love to do. And I really, truly hate to be deprived of such mitzvahs. We all have that pet mitzvah that we just love to do. And we would hate to not be able to do that mitzvah or not to do it to the fullest. A person is not able to put on tefillin. They're in pain. A person puts on tefillin every day of their lives. And all of a sudden, for whatever reason, not be able to put on tefillin, it's extremely painful. I remember it very well. Lying in the ICU after surgery. Waiting for someone to come bring me tefillin, to put on tefillin with me. I wasn't able to put on myself. I was in pain until the tefillin was put on. I was hardly able to dive and I was drugged to the eyeballs. Painkillers, etc. Thanks for reminding me. 13 hours later. (laughs) He only did one pair. He checked my rashis. And he said, wow, they're beautiful. Yes. So Avraham Avinu's pet mitzvah, so God wants to spare him of the laborious guests that he'd have to, treating the guests. So he takes the sun out of his shelter and makes it so hot that no guests are passing by. Let me ask you, my children, you think Avram Avinu was happy? He didn't feel the pain of his bris because he was in pain that he's not able to do Achnas Asarchim. So, what did you do? What did you accomplish here, God? You took away from him a pleasure in his life. You caused Avram distress. Vayeda, a love Hashem. The Almighty appeared to him. His instinct was generosity. To be kind, to be hospitable. To people that were in need. It was a natural thing for him. But even his generous spirit was stimulated only when he saw somebody that needed it. It wasn't shot that he sat there and said, who can I do a favor for? It's when he saw Nebuchadnezzar coming by that needed a favor, needed something done. He felt so full of ready to go and to do this. So in essence, there was nobody out there. And he knew everybody was sitting inside the shade and eating and drinking. He was at peace. And at peace in such a way that he was able to rest and recuperate from his bliss. When Hashem appears to him, when God appears to to Avram, things change. Because God has immeasurable kindness. And God's immeasurable kindness revealed to Avram. And that therefore evoked within Avram an even greater spirit of generosity than before. He was mirroring the benevolence that God bestowed. Now all of a sudden at this point with God sitting there in front of him and getting this new vigor of Achnas Serchim, 
Now he felt a yearning, and therefore God had to provide the malachim to whom he can share this with. And he lifts his eyes, and behold, he sees these three passerbys. And of course the question remains, how did the passerbys merit? Was it actually a mitzvah, since they were angels and not people? But unfortunately, the time has elapsed. May we all see to it that we sit and enjoy in the tremendous big sukkah, the hospitality of Avraham Avinu, this very Shabbos in Yerushalayim Mirakedish, with the Mashiach Kenu Shabbat Shalom to all.